Hello, everyone. Today, we have integrated dietitian and menopause expert Esther Bloom joining us to delve deep into the world of hormone replacement therapy for women. You may have heard of hormone replacement therapy abbreviated as HRT. In the past 27 years, she has helped thousands of women master menopause through nutrition, hormones, and self-advocacy. And I love to have people on who have also walked their own path of having to really figure their health out. And she has done that through working through Lyme, mold toxicity, and now she's also in the late stages of perimenopause. Esther is also the best-selling author of See You Later Ovulative, Cave Women Don't Get Fat, Eat, Drink, and Be Gorgeous, Secrets of Gorgeous, and the Eat, Drink, and Be Gorgeous Project. She's also known as Gwyneth Paltrow's Menopause Mentor and by Forbes for Helping Women Thrive Through Menopause. She's been voted the best nutritionist by Manhattan Magazine, and she's appeared on The Today Show, ABC TV, and Good Day New York, and is frequently quoted in Goop, Well and Good, and Forbes and Time Magazine. Esther received a Bachelor of Science in Clinical Nutrition from Simmons College in Boston. She's also a graduate of the New York University, where she got her Master's of Science in Clinical Nutrition. And she's also a Certified Nutrition Specialist, or CNS. And for those of you who don't know that, that's really nutritionists who take a functional approach to nutrition. I brought Esther on because she's nuanced, she has a depth of knowledge, and has the chutzpah we all need when navigating our health and menopause, especially when it comes to considering HRT. And we're going to get in today why, into today why a lot of us, when we hear HRT, especially if we're of a certain age, Gen X and older, I would say, who have this visceral, isn't HRT bad reaction, which I did. And I wish I had known sooner that all the problems with that initial bias towards it. So I really want you all to be educated. And and Esther is going to give you the education I wish I had had several years ago. And you'll learn more about why I value her combination of expertise in this interview. So before we get to this, two quick mentions. First, this episode isn't medical advice. No insatiable episodes are, but especially this one. You should always consult with your doctor. And in today's episode, Esther will tell you exactly what to say to your doctor if you want to experiment with HRT and what to do based on their reactions. And if you have to find a new doctor, she'll tell you how to find one that is qualified to support you during perimenopause or if you're in menopause, also thought of as postmenopausal. Second, in the interview, I ask Esther about the term bioidentical hormone replacement therapy because it's really confusing out here. So I wanted to make it clear here that bioidentical is indeed an accurate term. And Esther says this too. We just, our conversation kind of went off on a tangent. And so I want to make sure you realize that, yes, it is a term, even though some doctors dismiss it as a marketing term. What bioidentical means is that the hormones you are using have the same molecular structure with endogenous hormones in hormone replacement therapy. And endogenous just means the hormones your body naturally produces, right? So if after this episode or if you're already on it, if you go on bioidentical estradiol, progesterone, or testosterone, what you're doing is is it's molecular the same as what your body produces. This compared to some doctors will recommend the birth control pill for 
hormone replacement therapy in menopause. But the birth control pill does not molecularly represent the estrogen we normally make. Or as we go into the Women's Health Initiative study that initially made everyone think hormone replacement therapy was bad, those hormones they studied were not bioidentical either. And and Esther will tell you what they were made of. So you can get bioidentical from either an FDA-approved prescription, like you'll hear I'm currently on this through my insurance, through Big Pharma, or you can go to a compounding pharmacy. So there are two different categories of bioidentical, but bioidentical is indeed a term. We talk more about this, but I wanted to make sure you walk away understanding what bioidentical means and why it matters. Okay. On to today's episode that I think is going to really open your mind and hopefully empower you to advocate for yourself. Enjoy. Thank you so much for joining us today, Esther. You are just a wealth of knowledge, so I can't wait to get to let everyone learn from you. They're oh. in for such a treat. Thank so you. where are you in your perimenopause or menopause journey? I am late perimenopause. I have been on an HRT cocktail for at least two years. I take progesterone nightly. And by day, I use biased cream blended with testosterone. That's transdermal estrogen and testosterone. I use vaginal estrogen and testosterone twice a week as well. And DHEA and pregnenolone. So I am like locked and loaded. <laughs> but my I, dosing does change, you know, it has, a, we're slowly titrating it up as my ovaries wind the party down. Got it. Got it. I love that. So have you had a relatively, what changed once you got on that, I guess? Did you know? Sleep for sure. You know, I had been really sick with Lyme and mold for a long time and really insomnia. And the inability to lift weights without crashing or do anything really other than walking without crashing was a real struggle for me. And once, and then I also had brain fog, irritability, so, and just bad PMS. And so once I went on hormones, you know, moods far more stable, cognition dramatically different, like really firing on all cylinders, vocabulary came back. And a chunk of that certainly was eradicating mold out of my brain too and my gut, but also the ability to strength train again. I mean, I have a son who's almost 17 and we go to the gym together and I just feel like the luckiest human in the world to lift weights and feel good while I'm doing it and then go home and sleep well. And I just, I can't even tell you, I never took it for granted before, but now I'm like really just so, like I just pinch myself every time. I'm like, I can't believe this is my life. I'm so grateful and happy. I love hearing that. Yeah, my main menopause symptoms was insomnia and I got a lot better by learning all the things that you need to change. But when I got on HRT, the sleep, I'm dreaming again, the the cognition came back. And I feel like you do. I'm like, I just, I pinch myself knowing I'm going to get a good night's sleep every night. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I've always been a great sleeper, but those things, and yeah, my performance at the gym is improving. And it's just like, 
oh my God, I'm just so grateful. You know, we were joking before we got on that I'm integrating my big pharma shadow because I'm like, thank you, big pharma. I thought I, you know, I mean, with discernment. So now are you on FDA versus bioidenticals? Like what's your cocktail when you say big pharma? Yeah. So I just started and we'll get into this, but I think of like, I've only been on it almost three months. So, and I was doing, I mean, I do everything, you know, I eat well, I exercise, I get my morning sunlight, I do the incidental movement, all that stuff. But I'm on the lowest dose just to get started because I am sensitive to medication, but I'm going to see my doctor in the next couple of weeks and talk to her because that's some of the questions I want to ask you later on about dosing because, you know, and we'll get into this, but I think a lot of people think of HRT as dangerous and you want the lowest dose possible. So, but before we get there, what symptoms would someone be experiencing that would make them want to even consider hormone replacement Mm. therapy? So first of all, and you should know, ladies listening, the window of perimenopause, which is the years before menopause when your ovaries start to wind down their production of hormones, um, that can start 10 to 15 years before full onset of menopause, which is 12 consecutive months without a period. So a good indicator that you're starting to go down that path is just look at your monthly cycle. Look at your personality and your mood, weeks one and two versus works weeks three and four. If it is a Jekyll Hyde situation where you're just like happy and energized and you're having great gym sessions and you're feeling really just happy and even keel versus the second half when you're like sluggish, starting to gain weight and puff up, but like really depressed or just really, really irritable, meno rage as I call it, that's an indicator like, wow, I'm in the early stages of perimenopause. Also like starting to get those crime scene periods or, you know, just a lot of clots is a sign your progesterone is really taking a nice dip. And that really bad insomnia, even if it's like the week before your period, you're up peeing more, like bad cravings. Also, you can get hot flashes and vaginal dryness. So, and and it's interesting, Allie, because I'm seeing women younger and younger who are going on hormones younger and younger. And I think, I think it's stress. Some of it we've been through a lot. We are going through a lot collectively, but also I do believe our hormone receptors are pretty clogged up. We've got a lot of environmental toxins and just the, you know, hundreds of chemicals you can get just from washing your hair, putting on makeup and skincare is a lot, but like your cookware and then like your, you know, your drinking bottles, glass versus plastic and just so much environmentally, all of that affects us. So you want to be mindful of all those things. If you, if, but if you're having those symptoms, yes, you can start to say, okay, I'm starting the perimenopause journey for sure. Yeah. And also if someone's like, so I, it's interesting you say about younger women, because when I was talking to my cousin, who's, I think she's like 48, and then a friend texted me the other day, because she's like 51. I asked her, I'm like, how old are you? But she was like, I'm a little nervous. You know, I worry about my house. She's like, but my vagina hurts. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, but I was, and then I was like, how old are you? And then she was talking about just certain other symptoms and migraines. And I'm like, I think that might be menopause. Like, yes. like you're nothing's happening to you. So I also think... This like I'm 45, my gener like my age and older, a lot of people are 
are still like HRT is bad or I don't I don't know I need that. But then the younger generation is like, I'm not taking this, you know, (laughs) sitting down. So if, if someone is in maybe in menopause, would there be other symptoms if they're later on in their in their menopause journey that may be different than what you've described for the perimenopause? Yeah, well, certainly your libido can absolutely take a nosedive. A lot of midsection weight gain, high cortisol, more intense hot flashes that can be at night or it can Mm. be all day long. Again, really bad brain fog, low energy, itchy skin, itchy tip of the nose and itchy ears as well, like like the ear canal. Because yeah, the flu, I mean, you're drying up a little bit more wrinkles. Like you may notice like, holy shit, I just look really old all of a sudden or older all of a sudden, like real, real skin changes. So all of those can be a huge part of it. And yes, the migraines and the headaches too. I definitely noticed an uptick in headaches and I'm like, damn, I don't, the only time I ever get a headache is if I'm getting sick. Yeah. But now it's like, nope, I get hormonal headaches for sure. Yeah. Okay, great. So that'll help people be like, oh, that's me. That's me. Yes. And so you talked about as you're going more into menopause, you're upticking your hormones. So what does hormone replacement therapy do exactly? Mm. So there's four major benefits. I mean, there's so many benefits, but let's just kind of tick off the big boxes first. So first of all, cognition. We know that estrogen maintains gray matter in the brain, but progesterone and testosterone also support cognition, learning, memory, mood, focus. So mm-hmm. we think about what happens when when our mothers, our grandmothers, our aunts are getting Alzheimer's, right? They're usually, the symptoms show up usually in their 70s. It takes 20 years for the symptoms of changing Gray or disintegrating gray matter to manifest. Well, what is that event 20 years prior? It's menopause. So if we got women on hormones preventatively and you don't have to wait a year after hitting menopause to start hormones, women start and I have them start perimenopause. If we did that, that first 10 years from the menopausal women is the most critical time to be on hormones to prevent the loss of gray matter. Now, can you benefit if you start hormones later? Yes, but not the same. And to that end, bone density, benefit number two. Estrogen prevents the loss of bones far better than weightlifting, magnesium, vitamin D, calcium, Now you sh- and vitamin K. You should still be lifting weights and eating a high protein diet, but without estrogen, the clinical research shows the outcomes are not the same. And hip fractures are the leading cause of death in people above the age of 65. Again, all we have to do is start our hormones early and we can offset that risk. Number three, cardiovascular health. Hormones prevent placking on the arteries. They prevent high insulin and high cortisol and really help control blood sugar as well. And all of those inflammatory pieces can contribute to arterial plaque. So, and the other thing, Dr. Pam Smith talks a lot about this. For those of you who are like, where can I see this research? Dr. Pam Smith's books are excellent resources, but she also, and she was a former ER doctor, and she said there's clinical research to show that 
even if you do have a cardiac event, if you're on hormones, the effects are less than if you are not. So they're really, really dramatic. So that can be life or death. And I just, I just want to say one thing. It's important for yeah. women to realize that heart disease is the leading cause of death for women. Yeah. I, so I think I just wanted to point that out. That's a really important, huge right. benefit. And it's missed because women present differently. Like I think about that show with Rosie O'Donnell when she was talking about how she had her stroke and she didn't know it or, or she had, it was either a heart attack or a stroke and she was vomiting and her wife was like, you better go take some aspirin. She took like four aspirin, at, but she didn't go to the doctor for like three or four days. And the doctor was like, if you hadn't taken that aspirin, you would have been dead. Like, so you really do have to know the signs of stroke, like even just vomiting and cha- and feeling a little dizzy, you go right to the hospital, people. I mean, it's no joke. So you want to rule out a cardiac event as a woman. And then the last big benefit is supporting the genitourinary system and preventing vaginal dryness, vaginal atrophy, and urethral and clitoral atrophy. So offsetting UTIs, again, like how many of us have had a grandmother in a nursing home in diapers with UTIs, dehydrated, disoriented, those can kill you when you're older. So all you have to do is use some vaginal estrogen twice a week until you're dead, right? Internally and externally. And that can really, really help. And especially because with, you know, lower libido in women, like so many of my clients are like, it's really hard for me to achieve orgasm, or it's just the pleasure sensations are not as intense. That's atrophy. So you really want to make sure, you know, you're supporting that. You're not peeing your pants. You're obviously doing pelvic floor exercises and strengthening. So all, I mean, the, the hormone benefits are just tremendous. But to me, if you want the big answer, it's quality of life. Yeah, yeah, totally. Which then helps you make healthier choices. So it's like a snowball running down the hill instead of feeling like you're pushing all your health habits. Like you said, it was like I couldn't lift without getting like it breaking me. So yeah. it is huge quality of life. I'm so glad you you mentioned that. So what are if someone starts taking it, how would they know what are some of the first signs that HRT is working? Sleep that I, is first. I mean, I'm like when people women come to me just destroyed from not sleeping, they're up at from 3 a.m. on and I'm like, dude, the first thing we're going to do is fix your sleep. That can improve in a couple days on some progesterone at night and you can get Prometrium at your regular pharmacy. Mine is under $4 a bottle. And it hits up those GABA receptors in the brain and it knocks you out and helps you sleep. And by the way, if your doctor wants to put you on the pill or the IUD, those only have synthetic progestins, which don't touch the GABA receptors in the brain. So you've got to get bioidentical oral progesterone. That's step one. Step two is my friend, I was checking in on one of my girlfriends who started HRT and she's like, I don't feel like murdering my family as much as I used to. I'm like, well, that is progress. So better mood, better memory, right? More energy throughout the day, less craving and periods that are more under control. So this is a great story. So one of my clients was a corporate attorney out in LA she would bleed so heavily that it would like pool in her shoes at work. Can you imagine? Can you 
imagine the scenario. And I was like, dude, we're going to get you on progesterone. We got her on progesterone. And that week before her period, we had her double up on it. And again, I worked with her doctor. I can't prescribe legally. I'm a dietitian, but I was like, pro tip, here's, you know, what you can do. And it totally offset. She never had another crime scene period after that. Because if you're getting clots, right? It means that your project, it doesn't necessarily mean you're estrogen dominant. It means you have a, your estrogen levels can be normal, but you have a relative dominance because your progesterone levels are so low. And so going on bioidentical progesterone just is, it serves to keep estrogen in balance and in check. And again, a lot of doctors will say, oh, your periods are heavy. Go on the IUD or go on the pill. Well, guess what? Those synthetic progestogens in those products suppress progesterone it's so you cannot ovulate. Well, when your progesterone is suppressed, then you can also get anxiety and you get depression because your GABA receptors in the brain are not getting their fix. They're not getting their fill. So a lot of times when women come to me in perimenopause and they've been on the IUD and the pill and they want to continue it to use it for birth control or they're just afraid to go off, we still can add in and stack bioidentical progesterone on top of that until they're fully menopausal and ready to come off, transition over. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) But it's great that you can combine. I know the... so I take progesterone progesterone at night, and I remember the first time I woke up after it, I felt like I had like, I, I don't know, I was like, I felt like I smoked pot. Like I could have <laughs> smoked pot in forever, but I was so relaxed, and I was like, I mean, I eventually normalized, but I felt like spaced out. But it was amazing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes, and. Yeah. I mean, I, my son, you know, he's a high schooler, as I mentioned, and he's like, so many of the moms are just so crazy. He's like, you're so chill. And I'm like, I take hormones, dude. Like these women are not crazy. They just need hormones. Like I would kick his ass out of the house seven ways till Sunday if I wasn't on hormones. I mean, he's a really great kid, but like there's times where I'm able to just talk it through and not like freaking explode and lose my shit like I used to. So it really does. It really does make a very big difference. Oh, I love that. So you describe, so let hormone replacement therapy or menopause hormone therapy isn't a monolith. So can you, you said bioidentical, you said the pill or IUD. So can you tell people the different types of hormone replacement therapy? Because they aren't all the same. That's correct. And just to be clear, the pill and IUDs are not approved for menopause treatment. That's not what they're designed for. They're designed for birth control. So if you want them for birth control, go ahead, but don't, it's not going to have the same protective effects. And so with bioidentical hormones, estrogen, and by the way, the risks, the very scary risks were based on studies that were not even statistically significant using the urine of pregnant horses, like estrogen derived from the urine of pregnant horses. So that was an oral form of estrogen, which is also in the pill, right? That has a far greater risk of blood clot and stroke. That's why there are black box warning labels, birth control pills. They can contribute to clots and strokes. Now, if you're using transdermal estrogen, either in the form of an estrogen patch, 
or a cream like Biest, which you can get compounded at a compounding pharmacy, you're getting very low doses. Same with vaginal estrogen. These are micro doses. These are dosages that are about a fifth of a birth control pill. We're not trying to get you ovulating again in menopause. We're trying to just give you enough to where you prevent the chronic diseases of aging. And that's a very low, gentle, gentle dose. You can start out at, you know, 0.25 milligrams and work your way up when it comes to estrogen. Give your body time to adjust your practice, whoever your practitioner is and whoever can prescribe this. I mean, a nurse practitioner can prescribe it. In some states, a naturopathic physician can prescribe a medical doctor, a GYN, your GP can prescribe any of these hormones, but you've got to really work with someone who's hormone literate, who's going to monitor you every few months, who's going to titrate your doses as needed. So that's just a little sidebar. So estrogen is topical. Testosterone is also topical. I do not like pellets or injections. You cannot regulate the dosages. And there are very, very few studies done on pellets. And there are terrific side effects. And if you have side effects, you've got to just sit and wait it out for months, up to six months till they get out of your system. They're they're literally inserted subcutaneously in your tush. So yeah, you just, it's an incision, a little tunnels dug, they're dropped in, and then you just have to sit and wait for them to flush out. So that's why transdermal, again, topical testosterone is great because you can titrate or adjust the dose the next day. It's that easy. Now, testosterone is not FDA approved for women. So you can either get it from a compounding pharmacy, which is definitely more expensive, Or you can ask your doctor to write you a prescription for male testosterone at like a tenth of the dose, which would be a topical gel. That's kind of the workaround. I don't know if it's covered by insurance or not. I have to, I'm learning the system here with you as well. And then there's, again, vaginal estrogen. You can give progesterone vaginally. You can give testosterone vaginally. If you are really struggling with libido and orgasming, you can also get compounded oxytocin, which you can put on topically to the clitoral region and the labia. I mean, it's really freaking cool what we can do with hormones these days. And if you don't want to use... Now, the Framingham Nurses Study looked at women using vaginal estrogen for 18 years and deemed it safe even because it stays... In it, a, it's a microdose and B, it stays localized. So even, you know, a lot of breast cancer patients who aren't using systemic estrogen or ovarian cancer patients can safely use vaginal estrogen for quality of life. However, for some women who just really still don't want it, you can use vaginal DHEA and have the same results. You, it's just more expensive. You have to have it compounded and you have to use it for 12 weeks straight before you go down to a twice-weekly dose, whereas vaginal estrogen you use for two weeks straight and then go down to twi- twice-weekly. So, so many, so many, so many options. 
Yeah. And so just for for people listening, I want them to understand that bioidentical means that it's the most molecularly similar to what your body would produce. So when Esther was saying, and and I want us to talk about that study, because I think a lot of people hear HRT and they think of bad. It's bad because of that study. And I mean, I'm a cancer survivor as a teenager. And I that's why I was like, like, I'm not even going to look at it at first. But then so I want to talk about that. But yeah. what, what Esther was saying in that study, they used the estrogen that comes from horse urine, which is what is in birth control. So I just want people yes. to realize that's not bioidentical. And it gets even more confusing because there's some people who are doctors who are trained in menopause who will say bioidentical doesn't mean anything. And then people get it confused with natural. So can you, I just, yes. what would you say when people say bioidentical doesn't mean anything? You know, but it does. So I, or I think it does. I mean, what yes. would be your response to that? So bioidentical is it can be manufactured in a lab, or it can be plant based. A lot of doctors are very down on compounding pharmacies because not all compounding pharmacies are perfect. They are, you know, hand, hand, each batch is handmade, and so they're only as good as the pharmacist making it. But I've had really, really positive experiences, but I mean, 98% of the time with compounding pharmacies. The nice thing is this, right? You can get bioidentical prometrium, which is oral progesterone in your pharmacy. You can get bioidentical vaginal estrogen. The problem is both of those have fillers that are not natural. I mean, prometrium has peanut oil in it. So if you have a sensitivity to peanut oil, you need to get compounded with olive oil or vaginal esterase, which is estrogen cream, has propylene glycol in it. That is not natural. That is not a healthy additive. So again, it is a microdose, but understand you are still putting some synthetic ingredients into your body. I'm actually working on an ebook on this, like an essential guide to hormones to really break this down for women and just say, here are the ingredients in what you're getting. And if you, that should not stop you from going on. Believe me, if you tell me you don't have a lot of money to work with, or you got a tight budget, and you want something you can just get at the pharmacy, no muss, no fuss, don't let perfect be the enemy of done. I would much rather see you preserve your heart, your bones, your mind than worry about a touch of additives, okay? But if you have the means, if you want a more couture experience versus off the rack, if you want something super duper customized, if your system is more sensitive, if you want to be able to titrate up the dose by microgram, then bioidentical compounded products are for you. Yeah. And for people listening, because I had heard of compounding pharmacies before listening to you, but I didn't really, it, like you said, it's just an independent pharmacy. And I was reading, again, I would love your thoughts on this because you can't believe everything you read on the internet, (laughs) but I was reading that even though, so I'm right now just on the FDA, like a myelin transdermal patch and the progesterone that's, you know, probably filled with peanut oil right now because I'm like, I'm just, just trying to get it done right now. But then I was reading that even though those are FDA approved because they're generic, they might be made overseas and the FDA isn't overseeing generic fulfillment and compounding pharmacies have to go through different types of regulation. So yeah. is that is that true or is that is that just 
a bad Instagram post. <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't have believed. <laughs> I will be transparent and say I would have to delve deeper into that. I haven't looked at the overseas manufacturing. I will tell you this, at the last A4M conference I was at, there was a lot of talk from the lecturing physicians about how the FDA does not like compounding pharmacies, right? Even though, please, these compounding pharmacies are like fighting to stay afloat. They're not rolling in millions, but the there are pharmaceutical companies that want to shut down compounding pharmacies and say, you will get option one, two, three, or four for your HRT, and that is it. So that is something to be very mindful of. I would say if you've got a good compounding pharmacy, keep supporting it. And, you know, time will tell what will happen with all of that. Yeah. And the price, at least, again, everyone's plan is different. But so I got also recommended a prescription for the vaginal estrogen cream. And when I got it from the pharmacy, it was it had all of those like sodium laurel sulfate. I'm like, I pay extra in my skincare and all this stuff not to have this. And so the nurse was like, we'll call in a prescription to a compounding pharmacy, but your insurance won't cover it. But the difference was like $30 for a 90-day supply. So exactly. it's not that much more exorbitant. At least, again, this is Pittsburgh. This is, you know, what my insurance yes. So it's all going to be different. But I was thinking, oh, my God, this is going to be a small fortune. And I was like, I $30 difference over 90 days is not like, you know, going to break the bank, I guess. That's it. Because people come to me a lot and they're like, oh, you know, I got charged all this money from a compounding pharmacy, but I'm like, it's a 90 day supply versus a, a one month supply. But somebody recently messaged me on Instagram and said, I got charged $500 for my estrogen. I said, do go to a compounding pharmacy will be way cheaper than your like, yeah. Because their insurance didn't cover it at all. So I was like, you're going to have way better luck at a compounding pharmacy. So you just don't know. Yeah. 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 But, and yeah, that's why I'm like, okay, I'm on this now. And two, I think if people are starting on HRT, don't you think, like you said, you may need to have a trial period to see in terms of dosage, which actually works. And so it can potentially be helpful, even if like, again, I'm on the, like, you know, the, the. I'm on the Costco version, I guess, <laughs> yeah, of hormones. Yeah. But as I figure out what I need, and maybe if I need to dose, a compounding pharmacy can help with much more what you're saying, titrated doses and stuff like that. But you, They can, but a regular doctor can also change your doses as you need to titrate too. Mm. Oh, okay, good, good. Here yes. I am. I'm trying to do it myself. I'm always trying to do it myself. I know, <laughs> I know. No, you got to work with, you got to, listen, as knowledgeable as I am, I still have like, you know, functional GYN. I've got a nurse practitioner. Like I've got a team helping me. I don't, I do not write my own prescriptions or, yeah. you know, or say, this is what I want. I let them say, this is what you need. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm just so used to having to like, cause I got, I, you know, I had chemo when I was 13. And so by age mm. 23, I had like point, I had, this was before functional medicine was like very popular. So I was coming to my doctors being like this and they were like, we don't know what you're talking about. So I'm just so used to having to be the one to be like, you know, but my doctor, you know, she was like, okay, no estrogen for your bones because of chemo, you know, like she was very on top of that stuff. So I should just follow up with her and <laughs> trust that I'm in good hands. It's that time of year again. Truce with food, trust in satisfaction, not restriction. 
my six-month group program is open for registration through January 31st, 2024. I only run Truce once a year, and I keep it small so that you get the best of both worlds, my individualized group, individualized attention, and the benefits of an intimate, supportive group. So spots do tend to fill up pretty quickly. We begin February 1st, 2024. Perhaps you've struggled with food for years and suspect that the solution isn't somewhere out there in some passing fad or yet another restrictive diet. You sense that a deeper change is necessary. And midlife is a great time to address this deeper change. Over the years, I've guided hundreds of satisfied participants through this program. So you get the benefit of a refined curriculum that not only meets you where you are, but guides you to where you'd like to be. We cover a lot of ground in this comprehensive six-month program from learning what foods are best for you now, not when you were 20 or last time something worked for a short time, to discovering the root cause of why you fall off track with your healthy eating. And this includes why falling off track makes sense. Not that it's the problem, but it's the thing to understand and work through. These are results that will last and require no white knuckling. No one's got energy or time for that in midlife, especially. If this sounds like it might be a good fit for you, join me for a completely free, no strings attached sneak peek in my Find Your Flow When It's All in Flux Salon series on Wednesday, December 27th, January 10th, and January 24th from 12 to 12.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And bring any burning questions from this season so that you can get them answered on this call. Sign up for free at alishapiro.com backslash flow. And no worries if you're listening to this after the three-part series has already started. Once you sign up, you'll receive access to a limited replay of what you missed. I hope to connect with as many of you who listen to this show as possible at this series. Once again, visit alishapiro.com backslash flow for more details. Now back to the show. So we talked about the women's Framingham study. And can you tell people a little bit why, especially I told my Truce with Food community that I was going to interview you. And this woman who's 60 was like, I told my friend I'm considering HRT. And she was like, no, that's bad. And my cousin, I was talking to her over the holidays and she was like, wait, I thought HRT was bad. And again, I thought this too. So can you tell why people potentially might think that. Yes. Um, talk about that study. Yeah, this Women's Health Initiative study is what Allie's referring to. And it was done about two decades ago where women who were 10 years post-menopause, they were average age 62, they already had an increased risk for heart disease and unfavorable lipid profiles. And they were put on conjugated equine estrogen and they were an orally, and they were not given any opposing progesterone or testosterone. Now, hormones are a symphony, right? You were not born with your ovaries only making estrogen. You were born with pregnenolone and DHEA and estrogen, progesterone, testosterone. So, you know, and, and so the study was designed so poorly. Then the data was analyzed and misinterpreted, which shame on them. And 
the risk of developing cancer and clots went from four in 10,000 to five in 10,000. I mean, so statistically insignificant. And I remember on the Today Show, they yanked, they, I forget who was, it wasn't Katie Couric, but it was one of those old, you know, Today Show reporters. Maybe it's Meredith. What was her last name? Vieira. Yeah, Meredith Vieira. And she was like, hormones are dangerous and they cause cancer. And decades, two decades of women were immediately yanked off hormones. My mother at the time was on estrogen. I was like, get the hell off it. And sure enough, she had like major bone density issue, major bladder issues, cognitive changes, right? And died at like cardiac issues. So which and blood pressure issues. I'm like, oh my God, I like, did I wreck my mother? I don't know. But, you know, so anyway, the North American Menopause Society revamped their position papers in 2018 and 2022, stating, you know, the data has been reanalyzed. Hormones are safe to take for at least 10 years. And by the way, like, position papers are going to be revamped again. Hormones are safe to take for life. If you have hypothyroidism, you're going to take Synthroid or Levothyroxine for life. You don't just stop. The women I treat in my practice who are in their 70s often come to me and they're like, my doctors or my friends say, and by the way, ladies, your friends are not qualified to make medical decisions for you. Just saying, PSA (laughs) for the day. (laughs) Oh my God. So, you know, they say, oh, I think I should go off my hormones. I'm like, I think that's a terrible idea. I want to try it. And immediately their hot flashes come back. They wrinkle up like crazy. They, you know, get vaginal dryness and depression and brain fog and they go right back on. So it's something you can stay on for life. It is something you can start at any point in time, even if you're 10 years out. You may not see the strongest correlation of benefits that you will see when you start within 10 years of menopause. However, you will see benefits at every age, number one. Number two, PSA number two, for those of you without a uterus, you can and should still take progesterone. Progesterone doesn't only protect the uterus, it helps with mood, cognitive function, sleep, fat loss, right? So we have hormone receptors on every cell in the body, not just in the uterus. So you should absolutely be on progesterone too. I love that. That's the patriarchy being like, oh, if it's not for reproductive health, why does it matter? Don't even get me started. (laughs) That'll be Barbie 2.0, right? Since she ended at the gynecologist, we can pick right back. (laughs) I still have to see that. I have not had a chance to see it yet. So I can't, I, I want to see it. I just haven't had a chance. I think that reminds me too, when you said, just for everyone listening, like the media loves drama. We had, I had Angela Cini on, who's a journalist, and she wrote the book Inferior, How Science Got Women Wrong. And she talked about the study where they were trying to say there are these drastic differences in men and women's brains, but it was this like small, significant, you know, difference. And then the media just ran with it and blew it up, you know? And it's like when you said, like, I remember the media said there was like this 25% increase risk of cancer with HRT, but they weren't looking at relative risk, right? That's right. So to your point, it was like four went to five. It didn't go. And they're like, like they were just so irresponsible. And so I think sometimes it's like, it, it can feel emotionally like I'm going against the truth, right? By looking at HRT. And it's like, 
no, the media made up a truth. And even the study founders have have told people like, we did this wrong, we, you know, and yes. and they didn't have any healthy people, right? Like right. in the study. So it just, there's like so many problems with it, but it still persists to this day. And so many women are suffering as a result. It does. It does. And if you are a late bloomer starting hormones, you should absolutely get a calcium channel score done. Get your cardiac risk markers checked, which would be lipoprotein, a, little a, homocysteine, triglycerides, cholesterol, insulin, fasting, glucose, and C-reactive protein. And also you do want to get pelvic ultrasound just to make sure you're not having any thickening of the walls of your uterus. Aside from that, you're good to go. I mean, your doctor will, will tell you, but that's it. You just have to make sure so that you're treating those issues too. And by the way, all women should have cardiac risk factors checked anyway. All women should get a bone density test done Prior to menopause, by the way, late 40s is a great time to get bone density, not like when you're 56 or 62 or whenever. Get it done early. Get your baseline. I love that. Everyone, write down those tests that Esther said because... Yeah. And do you think people They're should... in my book too. They're in the oh. book. See you later, ovulator also. Yes. Great. Yeah. I recommended that to some clients. They were like, this was so helpful. I was like, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. But yeah, I think that's really important. And so do you think people should be monitored with that? like every year if they're going to go on HRT? Okay, to make... And well, let me back up too. Why do they think people should go within 10 years? What happens to the cardiac risk if you're not on HRT or, you know, if you if if you are in your 60s? What, what are they afraid of? Yeah, I think they're afraid of clots and stroke. And so, you know, and, and by the way, to your earlier conversation, there are still black box warnings on hormones. To this day, even though the studies have been, you know, refuted, they're still there, which is why people are scared. Doctors are not updating their knowledge at all. This is ignorance. It's lazy medicine. And medical schools are not teaching menopause care. And I'm like, but the FDA has approved HRT. So that's really ass backwards. And I love it when, you know, doctors are like, I'm too busy. I'm too busy seeing other clients. People, when do you think I do my research? That's called nights and weekends. I gave up family times. I was a complete a-hole to my family when I was like grinding, writing a book while seeing patients five days a week and then working all weekend. Like you have to fight. If you're going to better the care of women, if you're going to change the landscape of menopause, guess what? Sometimes you got to give up some personal time because- what made me write the book was how angry I was. I had my own men rage. I was like, I am so sick and tired. If one more woman comes into my practice gaslit, I'm going to freaking burn the, the house down. Like I'm just so sick and tired and women have to start speaking out. And I wrote the outline for the book. I was sitting on the couch next to my husband and dog and I got out and one of my colleagues was like, your book is here. I was like, I don't think I have another book. He's like, your book is here. And I sat down that night and in five minutes, like in my bookshelves behind me, I still have the outline. I wrote it in five minutes with a marker on a legal pad and cranked that baby out in like six or eight months. I self-published it because I was like, I'm not going through a traditional publisher. I'm waiting two more years for this to get out. If I had done that, the book wouldn't even be out yet, even though I wrote it, you know, in COVID basically. So, so yeah, it's just... Lazy medicine is not acceptable medicine. Yeah. 
Well, and that I have th- that question. Then, if a woman goes to a doctor, like what, why, what is their typical response going to be? Because I have a yeah. friend; she's Canadian, but her doctor and she knows we're friends, we're good friends, and she's interested in it. And she's like, "My doctor said this causes cancer." She's like, "I know she's in the Stone Ages. She said she'll do whatever I want." But so I think a lot of women get that reaction. So. Like yeah. if their doctors give them that, what do you recommend or their next steps in terms yep. of? Great. So first and foremost, you know, in, in the back of my book is there's a hundred studies. If you get the digital version, you can even just click on the study links. There's a hundred studies there. And if you even Google or look at one or two, you're going to be like, oh my God. Or if you go to pubmed.com and look up benefits, HRT, safety, efficacy, or read the book Estrogen Matters by Dr. Avram Blooming. That's another great one. So you can say to your doctor, you don't have to look at all the studies, but you can say, look, I've done the research. I'm having tremendous side effects. I am willing to take the risk. I want to be on hormones. Why don't you give me a three-month trial and let's see how this goes, right? That's option one. Some doctors are gonna say, don't they've I'm acting out what my clients and friends have told me. I'm going to hold up the hand and say, if you even talk to me about hormones, this conversation is over and they will be a-holes. Those people you want to leave immediately. Or option three is you can choose the path of least resistance. Call your local compounding pharmacy. If you don't know where your local one is, just Google compounding pharmacy with your zip code you're going to get at least one per t- one or two per state, at least. So call them up and say, what doctors, what are your favorite doctors who run hormone prescriptions through this pharmacy? You will get doctor recommendations that way. You can also go to the uh, Institute for Functional Medicine. This is ifm.org and do a search in your zip code. And look for a hormone literate doctor there. But again, you've got to do your due diligence. Any doctor recommendation you get, go on their website. See, are they doing pellets and injections? Or are they open to, you know, you could say, I don't want pellets or injections. Will you please do transdermal? Will you please do oral? And I've never had a doctor say no to that. Um, And, you know, see if they feel like a fit for you. See if the office is responsive to you. See if you're going to get good care, good people. If a doctor's office doesn't respond to you and you came bothered to call you back, don't go there. You won't get good help. So just go with your gut. Do due diligence. You can ask your girlfriends. Facebook groups are often a good place to ask. But there, there really are good doctors out there. And some of them are out of pocket. That is the downside. And I feel terrible about that. But you know, they will spend far more time with you. That's my practice. I mean, my clients get at 90 minutes with me on the first visit and then, you know, half hour visits thereafter. A lot of people, a lot of doctors will also spend a good hour with you when you pay out of pocket and you will save mental real estate and emotional bandwidth. You will have a permanent solution to your problems and your investment. Well, I mean, how much is it costing you to not sleep every night? What is the toll on your marriage when you're not having any sex at all because you can't physically fit anything up there anymore without feeling like, you know, burning pain or broken glass, right? So, you know, you do think long-term, like when often when women are like, well, I don't know, it's expensive. I've talked to my husband. I'm like, ask them how much they're willing to pay for regular sex again. 
Believe me, <laughs> that credit card payment goes right through people. So <laughs> let me tell you, that's not a problem. Not this is, a problem. <laughs> this is why in my marriage, we each have our own separate accounts too. So. <laughs> well, exactly. Honestly, I'm a huge believer in that. And really asking for partnership, not permission. No woman should yeah. ever ask a husband permission because nobody's ever going to say, yes, here's thousands of dollars to go spend on your health. Nobody's ever going to say that. And a lot of times too, Allie, it's interesting because women are like, oh, well, I've got, you know, my kids are in college and we've got these house expenses. I'm like, when was the last time you ever put yourself first? You are the glue of this family. No matter how modern our times are, no matter that we're earners now and we can out earn our husbands, women are still putting themselves last. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but if you're down, the whole ship is down. So take care of yourself first. Even if a husband is very supportive of his wife, a lot of the times women don't give themselves permission to invest in themselves. They're always putting their families first. Even if they're the earners, they're like still putting themselves last. And I'm like, people, if you are down, your whole team is going to be down. You've got to put your oxygen mask on first. Like, when was the last time you put yourself first? And then they realize, I'm like, you you can't run at full capacity. You can't be present in your own life without putting yourself first and, and taking care of what, during this time when your health is down. So it's really important people understand the mentality of investing and getting a return, what the return on that investment looks like. And here's what the return looks like, by the way, people who are like, I don't know. This still sounds dodgy. What's on the other side? You have to go through your list of current symptoms that you're having, right? Vaginal dryness, insomnia, hot flashes, irritability, brain fog, exhaustion, body fat, low self-esteem, depression, anxiety, you know, all of these symptoms. Now imagine you get tested, you go to a hormone literate practitioner and then you get a hormone prescription. And within three to six months, this is all in the rear view mirror. You start sleeping through the night. You have better energy. You're nicer to your family. Get some vaginal estrogen. So sex is actually pleasurable again. And, you know, you just are more balanced and you have the energy to work out better and prep food better so you can work out and lose weight better. Like, imagine the profound impact that it has on you. And to me, that is priceless. It's like I went for years when I had Lyme and mold, you know, I really cobbled together my healthcare and I had colleagues who were like, I'll treat you for free, which is never a good idea because you just never want to ask them for better care when you're not getting it. And you know, you know, and it just, I was not getting better after years and years. And finally I was like, I don't have the money. I'm going to pony up and hustle and figure out how to do it. I was like too sick to work. And, you know, we had to do two home remediations and wow. I paid, you know, good money for tests. I paid for doctors and I was so committed. And let me tell you, that money showed up like extra clients started appearing in my practice and I was able to fund all of that. And I was better within a year. I was an entirely new person. And I was like, why didn't I do this sooner? So, you know, we hold off on investing and we're like, oh, next year, after Christmas, after my bonus, after, do it now. There's never a good time. Your kids are always going to have expenses, private school, college, uniforms, blah, 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 groceries, vacations, and never I, a good time. Just and, I, and I feel like with HRT, like the sooner you do it, 
especially if you're in that window, the better. And though, as as you're saying this, though, I do because HRT felt like a magic bullet for me because I was doing all the things. And I know that you're big on like, yes, HRT is great. And you still have to do those big, you know, rocks of eating well, you know, moving. And again, it doesn't have to... HRT can help that, but can you explain why that is so important to that HRT is like a complement to that and not viewed as a silver bullet? Yes, it's a piece of the pie. You can never out hormone or out supplement your lifestyle at all. So let's start with diet. Okay. A lot of women love, especially after COVID, wine o'clock, right? A lot of women really, it's very, there's a lot of cultural pressure to drink. It's like socially acceptable, mommy juice, sippy cups. You know, I I used to joke that I was going to invent a straw that was the length of a wine bottle that women could just plunk and just drink the whole thing. But seriously, there's a real cultural fixation on women getting loaded all the time, even like play dates. I remember there was a mom in my community the first day of school she would start serving alcohol at nine in the morning. And I was like, like the kids are out of the house, let's start drinking. And I was like, I got disinvited after a couple of years because I never went. I was like, who has time for this shit? I'm working, but I, yeah. I don't want, even if I wasn't working, I would not want to drink at nine in the morning. So alcohol really is, a, 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 you're writing checks that your hormones and your body cannot cash. It's a class one carcinogen it takes four to six hours for your liver to detox one cocktail. And while your liver is detoxing that, your hormone detoxification, estrogen in particular in your liver gets put on hold. So then you be, become estrogen dominant for 25% of your day. So that's just from one cocktail. Uh, so I'm not saying never drink. If you don't want to give it up, that's totally cool. Just be really judicious and cut way back because it's also going to wreck your sleep. It's going to slow down your thyroid function. It's going to leave you bloated and make body composition changes very, very difficult. Okay. So I'd much rather drink a mocktail and be in my bikini confident than like boozing it up. And it, it shocks me. I mean, I was such a heavy drinker in my twenties and I'm like now I'm like, no, thank you. So alcohol, and also developing a healthy respect for caffeine. Your liver may not metabolize or clear it the same way anymore. I noticed that. I, I've had to switch to tea. And that is how, how, how frequently I have to pee. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. And then really prioritizing protein. Women are so afraid of protein. The average woman I see who comes to me in practice is eating 60 to 70 grams of protein a day. And I'm like, ladies, this is what my dialysis patients used to eat in the <laughs> hospital, okay? Like women need protein. We need more as we age, not less. I wrote a whole nother book on that called Cave Women Don't Get Fat. But we need a minimum of 100 grams of protein. I try and get my women up to 120, 130, 150 grams of protein, especially if they're lifting weights. We need protein to uh, build and sustain lean muscle mass. And you need to pair that with some strength training. Now, strength training, you know, not everyone is going to the gym and deadlifting 80 to 100 pounds. Some women are starting with three to five pound weights or doing Pilates or resistance training. As long as the weight is heavy for you and your muscles are fatigued and burning or you get to failure, that that's going to be individual for everyone. And as long as you add to that 
weight and slowly increase your strength and increase the amount of weight you left. That's great. You also want to make sure that your ratios of carbs to flip. So pre-menopause, a lot of women have, you know, about 150 grams of carbs per day and about 60 grams of protein. And I'm like, if you flip those ratios, if you get your protein higher than your carbs, and if you track your food for three days in a log, you in an app, you can quickly see what your numbers look like. So if you make sure that your protein numbers are higher than your carbs, your insulin levels are going to be better controlled. You're not going to get cravings. Your energy is going to be way better. You will raise and sustain your serotonin and dopamine. So aim for 30 to 40 grams of protein at a meal. Okay. That's also real, my minnow law for fat loss. Number two. And number three is having carbs at night. And most women are like, oh, oh my God, I can't eat carbs at night. I'm going to get so fat. What's going to make you fat is not sleeping at night, right? So if you, okay, the insulin cortisol connection is a very real thing and gives you that nice menopot right in the midsection. If you add a sweet potato, a baked potato, some lentils, some quinoa to your dinner at night with your protein and fibrous veggies, you're going to get a slight bump in your insulin that is going to tamp down your cortisol. Nighty night, you're going to sleep through the night, which will make you far more insulin sensitive. And also, ladies, if you are lifting weights, you need to fuel your workouts with carbs. Do you know what I eat before I lift weights, ladies? I eat rice cakes with honey and salts. My son and I chug a lug and I go and lift my ass off and then I come home and I eat more carbs and I sleep no problem. So I have rice, potatoes, sweet potatoes. Don't be afraid of carbs. They are your friend in menopause, not your foe. I love that you said that. We just had Dr. Stacy Sims on last week and she was saying like the, the same thing. Yeah, yeah. The best. About, yeah. Her carb recommendation, I have to go back and listen, but it was like kind of even higher than that. And I was like, whoa. So I, I got to go back and listen. Yes. Because I was so- like, Trying Sorry. to interview. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go yes. Ahead. The more insulin sensitive you are, I mean, Stacy is teaching women to to lift heavy and really fuel their workouts. So for those women, they can have a one-to-one ratio of carbs to protein. So you can have 150 grams of carbs and 150 grams of protein. If you're looking to build muscle, you will need that. And you do need those insulin spikes to build muscle. You do. So it's not a bad thing. But yes, if you're sedentary, and a lot of my women are like gentle activity, they're just Same too tired, me. right? Or yeah. they're just too tired to work out. So I'm like, okay, then cut your carbs down or cycle them. Have more on the days you work out and less on the days you don't. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. All right. I have two more questions for you. Well, actually three. So back to HRT, what I'm seeing now, so when I first got into this space, it was like, realizing, oh, HRT is safe. And especially having gone through menopause early because of the chemo, it's like a no-brainer for my health protection. But now that I'm like in this space of people who have like known, like kind of get it, you know, I see like some people are recommending like physiologic doses into their 50s and 60s. So what are your thoughts on like, should, should women try to get back to, you know, what they're do- what they were that level of when they were menstruating and that seems to me like a little too unnatural or what are you what's yeah. your thoughts on actually replacing with physiologic doses 
You know, a good clinician is going to really monitor your levels. I, I don't think you need to be at physiologic doses, but it's this is where art meets science, right? Yeah. So the science will say, you know, to maintain your bone density and prevent cardiovascular issue and optimize brain biochemistry, your doses should be this in the blood, right? Mm -hmm. And they'll they'll look at blood tests or they'll do a saliva test or a 24-hour urine collection, right? But like thyroid, like treating thyroid conditions, sometimes blood work can be optimal, but symptoms can still be present. And that's a case when you do want to bump up until symptoms disappear and you can kind of override the blood work. So, I, but again, I don't prescribe legally. I'm a dietitian, not a doctor. So, but there hasn't been evidence to show physiologic doses are better. And I can tell you with the women I've seen with the side effects from the pellets, I mean, their doses are extremely, their levels are extremely high. They have lost hair on their head. They have grown hair on their chin. They have like such a raging libido that it scares the crap out of their partners. And it's like uncomfortable for them. They feel irritable, often a 10 pound weight gain. So, you know, it's don't fool mother nature, you know, be conservative with hormones. They're still hormones. They're not, you know, innocuous. And you want to make sure too, you know, the testing I do, I do the Dutch and the GI map because I make sure that women are passing the checkpoints for detoxification for phases one and two in the liver and phase three in the gut. So your hormones should never be stagnant like a pod that should be like a gently moving stream. And I see a lot of women who go on hormones and they're not testing their levels and they're having a lot of breast tenderness, they're having weight gain, irritability, you know, just a, a lot of imbalances. And it's because they're really too dominant in estrogen or their testosterone levels are too high. So, you know, there could be side effects in the other end too. Yeah. No, that's good. to th That's good to know. Because I, you know, again, this question is like for me personally, because I'm like, should I be because I'm only 45? And should I be at physically, even though I feel great, I'm still going to like, experiment with bumping up a little to see what could I feel even better? I don't know. You know, but I guess it's really yeah. to go with the symptom. And that's what my doctor said. She's like, we manage the symptoms, not the not necessarily like always what the blood work says. So but bear this in mind. Okay. You're still cycling regularly. Yeah. No, no, I'm postmenopausal. Oh. You're postmenopausal. Okay. So that makes sense. For women who are in perimenopausal, the perimenopausal window, your hormones can fluctuate up to 30% on any given day, which is why a lot of doctors are like, I don't even want to bother testing your blood. It, it can only tell me what's happening that day. So you want to make sure that you, this is why, again, I'll do a Dutch test. It will give me a better window. Or you look at a saliva test, which shows tissue saturation. You know, there are many ways to test and not guess where you really find the sweet spot for you. And yes, if you're postmenopausal, it's a much easier, much more controlled experiment. Yeah. So, but I'm so glad you're on hormones now. I mean, you're preserving your bones, like you said, and all your tissues and your brain. It's awesome. 
Yeah, well, that's that's why I'm like, should I have more so I preserve more? Because I still sometimes <laughs> feel like my recall. But the more that I sleep, because I'm only, like I said, two and a half months into this, the more that I sleep, the more that I can recall easier. And, you know, my brain is back, which is, you know, so important to me because I'm intellectual. So it's really important. Well, yeah, you kind of need your brain. And, you know, don't <laughs> over- kind of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we can't overlook the gut in this either. You know, people skip over the gut and they have a lot. Menopausal women have a lot of changes in the gut lining and in the estrobolome, which is that subset of the microbome, but microbolome, it's a subset of bacteria that metabolize a detox estrogen in the gut. So you can poop it out. So you also have to pay attention to those big rocks, those lifestyle pieces. It's not just let me just optimize my hormones and everything's going to be fine. It's, are you detoxing your hormones? Are you processing them? Is your gut healthy? Are you absorbing your nutrients? You know, and all those pieces make sense. Yeah. And you can read about the Esther Bloom in Esther's book, See You Later, Ovulator. I learned about that. I had no idea <laughs> that was a whole thing. So get yeah. the book <laughs> and we'll put links to it in the show notes. So two other questions. I have also heard about cycling hormone replacement therapy or menopause hormone therapy, and different people do it different ways. And then I asked my doctor, I said, should I be taking a day off so I don't blow up my receptors? Or I've seen some people who are on those physiologic doses, they will actually stop progesterone for two weeks so that it's almost like they're, you know, getting a period again. I mean, they're shedding the lining and and stuff. And she was like, the research doesn't back that up. And I was like, okay, but, but like if I had waited 20 years for the research to compound about how to heal my gut, I'd still be in a really bad place from, from the chemo. So it's like, I know that there's this balance of like, to your point, art and science of like, here's where the science is, but we're also really behind on the science. So how do you think of cycling? Not for postmenopausal women. I agree with your doctor. There's no research to back it up. And what happens is women then start to kind of get PMSy all over again. Mm. So I've seen that with clients where the doctors, you know, cycle them. And I'm like, why? Why? Because you take a woman who's not sleeping and you take away her progesterone and then she's going to go back to not sleeping those two weeks a month. Yeah. I do believe in taking a day off a week to give your receptor sites a break. But I will tell you personally, I'll take a week off my bias with testosterone, but I do not take off my progesterone because I just don't sleep. And I'm like... I'd be dead. You know, I'm so grateful every morning when I, every time I should say I get that hormone delivery, I'm like, thank you, God. Thank you. Cause I'm just, they have saved my life. Right. And so many women like you too. It's just the quality of life is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. And just too, I also heard that if, because you mentioned testosterone, I haven't gotten there yet, but for people who are listening to this, should they figure out their progesterone and estrogen first before doing testosterone or can you just do it all at once or what's your recommendation there? Yeah, you can do it all at once. You don't have to wait, especially if your hormones are rock bottom and everything's in the toilet and you're just, you have no cortisol curve, which happens a lot because hormones help give you a cortisol curve then yes, testosterone can be extraordinarily beneficial. And especially with cognition and mood and energy and libido. Oh my God, just all a really good game changer. Now, that being said, if your hormones are rock bottom and you have no cortisol curve, you should also do some good adrenal support 
with that too to help get your cortisol curve back. Again, don't hormones alone do not do all the heavy lifting. Yes. And then getting in a lot of protein and some carbs to also restore your cortisol curve. You do need carbs because carbs help the conversion of T4 to T3, which is the active form of thyroid hormone. If your thyroid is underactive, you if you have a subclinical hypothyroidism, your adrenals are going to crash around 3 p.m. and you're going to feel exhausted. So start adding carbs in throughout the day. I love that. I love that. So one last question, and this is from my friend who's in early perimenopause. She said that she, and I think this is a lot of people question this because I get the ads myself, but <laughs> what's the difference between HRT and all the supplements on the market that claim to balance hormones and solve menopause symptoms? And she said, for example, happy mammoth or O positive. Oh yeah, I've seen happy mammoth. You know, again, a the dosages on those products are usually so freaking low. It's like someone stood in front of the bottle and waved some <laughs> herbs in front of it. <laughs> Under a full moon with crystals. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there are brands I will not I will not call out the names, but there's a lack of integrity with a lot of those products. Now, some products are really good. I love Dr. Anna Kabeca. I love her maca is incredible. I think it's so good and made so carefully. You really should be getting supplements through a practitioner who is vetting your products for you that are practice. I use only practitioner grade that are third party tested and that are a little more expensive because there are therapeutic doses of ingredients. Mm. I, I too. I'm launching a line of just two simple products to help support women on hormones, to help them detox their hormones. And you better believe the dosages are going to be clinical. I mean, that there's going to be 500 milligrams of glutathione in there. You will not find that in any product out there. So you have to be really careful. And then, you know, listen, if it brings you relief, you know, I don't think there's any harm in taking Happy Mammoth. You may just empty your bank account, but some women, again, I do have supplement protocols in my book with therapeutic dosages. So you know what to look for on the labels. And I have a full script account too with like some really nice protocols I give to women for hormone support too. It's, you don't have to, all you have to do is like create an account and you get access to this stuff. So that's amazing. You know, just make sure that you're really vetting the products and having a practitioner guide you is really the best way to do it. So you, once you do testing, then you can customize your protocols to the test. That's why I like test don't guess. And every protocol I put my clients on is customized based on their tests. So I know exactly what they need when they need it. We're like, okay, your methylation's slow and your gut needs some love and let's kill off these parasites and infections. And Let's clean everything up. And in six months, they have like their roadmap for life. It's great. Oh, I love that. Well, I'm sure yeah. everyone is going to get so much out of today. So where can people find you if they, because okay. you know what you're talking about. I mean, they're, they're... I do <laughs> most of the time, Allie, most of the time. <laughs> Those are the only people I trust who aren't like, yeah, oh. all the time. <laughs> I oh, know what yeah, I'm talking no, about. No. <laughs> No, I never, anyone who promises you 100% results is selling snake oil and not fish oil. So let's be clear on that. <laughs> I would much rather under promise and over deliver. So come hang with me in two places. One is on Instagram at Gorgeous Esther. 
And the other is my website, estherblum.com. I send out weekly newsletters that are really informative, really going to help you make menopause your bitch. And then- (laughs) I love uh, that tagline. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. And then I'm going to be starting a group coaching program, probably Q2, to just, again, give more women access to everything I'm doing for my one-to-one clients. So we're really excited about that. Amazing. Esther, thank you so much for your time, your work in the world, your passion, your fire. We really, us, you're Gen X too, right? It's like we're Totes. Yeah, total, 53. Yeah, yeah. 45. Amen. Total different breed. So I appreciate you blazing the trail. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Allie. This was awesome. 